Because some of you don't know of them. Some of you are new. You don't know them well. And I could talk about the 20 plus years that they've served with United World Mission. I could talk about the years that they served in India. I could talk about the years that they served in Hungary. And I could talk about the years that they're now in the U.S. supporting and encouraging other missionaries. I could give you some logistical details, you know, that they've been married for a hot minute now. And they've got four kids, three girls and a boy. Two of the girls are married. One of the other girls is getting married in the summer. The boy is kind of like a matrix moment for me. They have a 16-year-old son named Andrew. Uh, it's kind of, I know, I feel odd whenever I say that out loud. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have a 16-year-old son named Andrew. So some, some of you are new and you don't know that. And some of you have been here so long you still think Andrew's four. So he's not. So um, I, can, I can talk about all that stuff. But what I want to say is, is that Sylvania Church started to support and come alongside the Hollowells just a few months after I became pastor here about almost 12 years ago. One of the very first experiences that I had with Sylvania Church as far as their desire to love missionaries and to do missions was our effort to support the Hollowell family. And I've known them pretty much the whole time that I've been your pastor. And every time that they've come in town, every time that we've had them here, every time we've had some reason for them to come and to participate, my heart has been warmed by their presence and my mind has been elevated to the greatness of Christ by their words. And so if there's anything I could communicate to you guys as the person who normally is the one sharing God's word with you, I am excited and delighted and encouraged to hear what Chad has to share with us this morning. Because every time I've heard him speak or his wife speak, it's been to the glory of Christ. And I look forward to that this morning. So Chad, if you will come and share the word with us. Well, good morning. Am I here or here? Just making sure we're good. What's that? We're, we're good. Okay, just making sure. Trying to get all the technical, technical stuff out of the way up front. Well, it's wonderful to be with you guys. It's always a delight for us to be here. Um, you guys are a huge encouragement. And the first thing Serena and I would want to communicate is um, how deeply appreciative we are of 12 years of ministry with you. Um, your love, your support, your prayers, your encouragement every time we're here is an incredible blessing to us. And we just want to give a heartfelt thank you for that. And I hope this weekend we've been able to give a little back in return uh, in how you guys have blessed us. Um, if you weren't with us last night, there was a mission banquet. And it was a wonderful time, a really good turnout. Uh, and it was a time uh, for us to talk about missions and kind of give a charge uh, towards missions and ways that you can participate. Um, I'll touch on a, a little bit towards the end of, of our time today, uh, but it was a really sweet time. And um, for some of you who may not realize, the kids uh, raised money towards a project um, called, uh, it's for the Taleb, Talib Bay uh, Ministry. Um, there's a church in, in uh, West Africa, in Senegal, um, by the name of La Source Church. And their ministry is to work with these young boys. Uh, they're taken out of their homes uh, at a very early age, five to ten years old, removed from the home. They go to the city and they spend um, their evenings um, with someone, a, a teacher from Islam, studying the Quran. In the days they're sent out on the street to beg, to get money, to give back to the people who are training them. And it's a very, very difficult complex system. 
uh, they're not treated well. And they're taught something of darkness. Um, this ministry, this church, um, opens their doors three times a week uh, for these boys to come in and um, be refreshed, literally. They're meeting their needs. Uh, they let them take a shower. They provide a meal for them. And they just love them and in the felt areas that they need to be loved. And while they're doing that and meeting their felt need, they're, they're meeting their heart need, their spiritual need, and they're sharing the gospel with them. So I just wanted to let you know that uh, the money that was given by the kids towards that project will go directly to that church and will literally buy soap, food, and give them another chance to share the gospel with these kids. So just keep praying for that ministry, and we want to say thank you for contributing to that. Um, before I begin... I feel like a little bit of a disclaimer is in order here. Um, I, as we've already figured out, I am not Philip. Uh, your pastor and I, though, have some likenesses. If he were to come up, we're pretty close to the same height. We, I notice we both have glasses. Our, our build is very similar. I, I'm told we're both really good looking, uh, things like that, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of similarities. But there are two things that I think are important to note. The first is I do have a little bit more hair. Just a little bit, but mine's going. Um, the second um, is that uh, we have been in deeply privileged to be a part of services here for, th- for 12 years and uh, listen to, to Philip preach and even listening online from time to time. And um, God has given uh, your pastor an, an incredible gift for teaching God's word. And I just want to celebrate that and give the disclaimer that um, that's not my gifting. So you're probably going, oh, boy, what's he going to talk about today? Um, But teaching is not my gift. The the gift that God has given me is to exhort. Complimentary, similar. Um, But I do want to present God's word to us and provide enough teaching that we can ground ourselves uh, deeply in his truth have good theological perspective, but in a way that helps move our hearts to a response. Okay? Uh, and so I, I'm praying and hoping the Lord will, will allow me to be able to do that for us today. Um, as we move into the text, um, uh, the, the text is John 12, verse 46. One verse. But I'm going to actually expand um, our teaching and our look uh, a little bit further than that, because John leads us into some things to get to the thought in verse 46 that I think are quite important for us to recognize. And before we jump into the text, uh, if you're turning in your Bible, you can turn to John 12. But um, I-, I want us to parachute in a little bit. I understand that you guys have been in Leviticus, uh, so you've been in the world of sacrifice and entrails and Blood and guts and glory, right? So uh, we're going to step out of that a little bit today, and we're going to jump into the to the book of John, particularly uh, chapter 12. Um, so to help us get some context, I want to start with, with the bird's eye view and kind of come in and parachute into where we're going to land today. So a few remember, reminders of the book of John. Um, the, the gospel of John was written by John. How's that for a start? Am I doing okay? All right. Um, So a few things to remember, though. Um, John wrote his gospel 60 to 90 years after Jesus was crucified. Um, He was an eyewitness. He walked with Jesus. In fact, the scripture says that he was identified as um, 
the one in whom Jesus loved. It's a very intimate um, saying, an intimate way to say they were very, very close. Uh, John was one of the 12 disciples. He was in the inner circle. and He was a very close friend of Peter. Um, so he's, he's in the know, and, and all scholars agree that John, being an eyewitness to these events, is recording these some number of years later, 60 to 90 years later, and he's recording them from his own experience, not just someone else's comments and stories. He's writing from his own lived experience, walking with Jesus and the disciples. Um, the book of John could be divided into two messages. The first is that you may believe. And the second, that you might have life. That you may believe and that you might have life. Two critical things that John's going to talk about throughout the entire gospel. And in our chapter, we're going to see this quite clearly. Um, landing a little bit closer to the ground, uh, John 12. Um, to set the scene for us, we're, going to, we're actually going to read here in a minute uh, verses 35 through 50. Um, but there's some things, there's some events happening just before uh, we move into our text. Uh, in the beginning of John 12, Mary's anointing Jesus' feet with oil, a fragrant oil. Some translations say it's a perfume. And it appears that it's quite costly, um, somewhere close to maybe even a year's salary. Now, I don't know about you, that's a lot of money. Um, I love my wife. I want her to know that she's beautiful. And usually once a year, maybe twice a year, I will buy her a really nice bottle of perfume. Expensive, but it's not a year's wage. <laughs> maybe a hundred bucks, $120. Feels expensive to me, but a year's wage, this is precious. And she's been saving it and she anoints Jesus' feet and she dries it with her hair. And the disciples get upset and, and have a whole different perspective on this thing. And Jesus quietly, kindly rebukes them and says, leave her alone. She's preparing for my burial. This is a hint of what's to come and where we find ourselves in the scene. Right behind this, we move into a celebration, a feast that's happening. It's a Passover is coming. And it's this glorious scene that we celebrate the week before Easter. Palm branches, they're waving palm branches, making the way for Jesus. He's on the donkey, he's coming into town. And they're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. It's a declaration of who Jesus is. And the people who know him are proclaiming that he is the King. And then Jesus, with the people that are gathered there for the feast, which included disciples, Pharisees, Greeks, begins to have a conversation and he uses some strange language and he says, um, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And then a little bit later, he says, the son of man must be lifted up. And this was to signify that he was about to be crucified. And so he's sharing with them, my death is right around the corner here. My time is nearly done for my purpose. So that's how John leads us into these words in John 12, 35 through 50. And I'm going to ask if you would please stand as I read the text we're going to focus on in honor of God and his word. 
And you can just read along with me uh, quietly. Starting in verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah again said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. But nevertheless, even among the rulers, many did believe in him. Because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. And this is our main verse. I have come as a light unto the world that whoever believes in me should not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my word and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Let me pray for us. Father, as we dive into John's words here, and and, and even the words of Jesus, over half of what we just read are, are words from Jesus, we ask that you would open our eyes to see, open our hearts to receive, And we ask that you would do something with your word to bring about change and transformation. Help us to know how to respond to your word. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So John uses some language here that I think is important for us to understand. Um, He's using light and darkness, two different places in the text that we're um, drilling down on this morning. Um, You know, light and darkness are important aspects to our life. In fact, light is the greatest source of of energy for us. And it's interesting to me that that light does some really beneficial things. Um, it, it, It produces photosynthesis, which allows plants to grow. And as plants grow, they produce fruit. They produce oxygen, which we all need to live. Um, and so it's, light itself is an incredible source of, of energy. Um, and uh, we see in Genesis 1, the beginning scene in the, in the entirety of the scriptures, Moses writes for us in Genesis 1, and he says, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from darkness. So interesting, John's using this theme of light in the very opening text of, our, of, 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 the, of the Word of God is also this idea of light. God knows that light will be needed to sustain everything he creates after he creates the light. So light can begin to, to connect for us in the idea of giving life. It's important for life. And I think this is part of the theme that John wants us to see is how these two are closely related. Um, just a quick reminder for us, um, light in the Hebrew uh, is the word or, and in the Greek it's phos. I'm not sure I'm getting my Greek term, uh, saying exactly right, but carries the meaning of being uh, illuminated. The verbal use of that would be to illuminate, uh, to make manifest, to make bright and clear. Uh, even carries the meaning of happiness. Um, it's the idea of a shining light. If you've had a cloudy day, or we do this as a family, we love cloudy days in that moment when the part, the the clouds part and a ray of light shines through. Our 16-year-old our son still to this day will say, oh, Jesus is coming. It's the glory of the Lord shining. That's what this, this word means when the word light is used. And it's also equated to today as we see in Genesis 1. In contrast, darkness, Hebrew word koshek and the Greek word skotia, means hidden, obscure, obscure. It pictures for us misery and death, the idea of being ignorant, not able to see wickedness, and the idea of night. And so God establishes night and day, and John is connecting for us this idea that these two are in contrast with one another. Um, And the whole of scriptures actually help us to see some other representation of light and darkness. Um, Some of this light and darkness has to do with um, light bringing about creation. It's something good. And it's directly related to the person of Jesus and bringing life. And again, in contrast, darkness represents evil many times in the scriptures. And it represents destruction, not creation and life, but death. And it's usually associated with Satan, the enemy of God and his people. Um, so I, John thinks this is a really important theme. He actually uses it 30 times in 21 chapters of John. So that's pretty important to recognize. And so why we need to understand what is John saying when he uses this language of light and darkness? Seven of those uh, 30 times he contrasts it with, with light and darkness. And so this is a really important theme for John. And he actually starts his gospel in chapter 1 of John with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and he's talking about Word, capital W, which is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Sick, significant theme for John. Just wondering, how many of you um, have ever been afraid in the dark? Okay, be honest. Probably every one of us at some point. Some of us might still be a little afraid of the dark, right? Why is that? I mean, when we're in the dark and we're not able to see, our mind starts to play tricks with us. We hear something, we don't know what it is. It's because we're not able to see. We're lost where we are. We're not able to understand the things around us because we can't see it. And we become afraid. Uh, So light then becomes very helpful. You flip the light switch on and you feel a lot better really quickly. Um, well, Serena and I, uh, as missionaries in India, one of the first festivals we had to understand uh, was the Festival of Lights. It's called Diwali. Um, it's an important festival for Hindus. They um, take roughly five days. It's a five-day festival, and it's all about light and them welcoming light into their home, which is a place of darkness because they want light in their home. And the literal translation of the word of the word Diwali is little lighted lamps or a row of lighted lamps. And so for those five days, uh, what you will experience in any um, place in India is massive fireworks every night. And I'm not talking like the, the 30 minutes or less that we get at our celebrations with fireworks. It starts the moment it starts getting dark and goes till one, two in the morning. And these things are like bombs. I mean, they sound like, you sound like you're in a war zone. I've never heard such loud uh, fireworks in my life. And balconies will be lit with lights. And the culmination at the end of that week, um, they will invite a particular Hindu god, the spirit of that god, to enter their home through prayer and try to drive out the darkness, the demons that are in their home. What they don't realize is they're inviting darkness into darkness. And many of the gods, and there's thousands, by the way, um, but some of the most well-known gods are representations of uh, wealth, of the bloodthirsty god. Um, And so it gives you a picture of they're inviting the bloodthirsty god to come in and bring light. Um, so one of the great evangelistic opportunities we had to, to, to offer them was you're looking, to the, you're looking to darkness, not to light. We have the light. We can tell you about real light, true light, that can truly drive out the darkness that, that you experience. You don't have to live in fear anymore. Um, so Diwali is a really, really interesting picture of this light and darkness theme that John represents for us. So as we think uh, through this text, I want us to keep light and life at the forefront of what John is trying to communicate and what Jesus' words are sharing are, are meant to, to instruct us on. John is going to answer for us three things. Who is Jesus? Uh, what's he on mission to do? And how are we to respond? Okay, and so we're going to see that as we work through our text today. John, 35, John 12, 35 through 36. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. While, I walk, while you have the light, uh, walk in the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. 
It's as if Jesus is saying, I have been with you, you've been around me. Some have believed, some haven't. Open your eyes and see, I'm only going to be here a little bit longer. My time is coming. Remember, he just predicted that his death is, is near and he's going to be lifted up through way of crucifixion. And he's opening this invitation to say, open your eyes. See who is with you. I'm the promised one. I'm the Messiah. Walk with me while you have the light. Be close to me. Come out of the darkness that you're in and walk near. And I'll show you what life looks like. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Whatever your fears are, you can come to me, walk with me, and I'll give you life and I'll recreate all that is good that I desire to see in you and through you. So that's the great invitation. And John wants us to see as Jesus makes this statement that this is an invitation. It's a very warm invitation. Um, it's, It's not out of frustration. In fact, Jesus is showing himself to be incredibly compassionate Kind. He's, he's looking, he's been with them, and his heart is just overwhelmed and out of great love and desire. He's expressing, please walk out of the darkness. Come to the light. I have something to offer you. It's very invitational. When we read the words of Jesus, all the red print, how do you receive Jesus' words? Condemning? Judgmental? That was me for a time. In fact, the Holy Spirit rebuked me. And actually asked me, why do you read Jesus' words this way? And I began to see that they come as words of compassion and longing and desire for me. And I want us to see that in the text today. Very invitational. I want you to think of a time that you felt you were in the darkness. And you had this sense that God was inviting you to move away from that darkness. It might be your salvation experience. Surely that's one. If you have turned um, to him and given your life to him, that's surely an example. But what about the ongoing part? What about the little darknesses that are in us, the sin that keeps coming up, the evil in our hearts that the scriptures talk about? Jesus says uh, that, yes, there is this overarching justification of your of your salvation in me, but there's also an ongoing walking out of darkness. I want you to be free. I want you to grow. So an obvious question for us with just these first couple of verses. Have you wander, wandered from the darkness if you have given your life to Jesus? Have you wandered away? You're playing in the shadows. Have you drifted back into the darkness, into places of sin? His invitation is to return. Maybe you're walking in the light and this is a season where you feel really close to him. Then give him praise. Glorify his name. But maybe there's some here who've never stepped into the light. Maybe you remain in darkness. Maybe that's where you're abiding. Jesus has an invitation for you. John 12, John goes on. So we have this picture of invitation from him. And he goes on to say, but... Although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Interesting that John throws this in after he states Jesus' words. You know, Jesus has done a lot of miracles. Uh, All four of the Gospels, 
um, show us all these different miracles that Jesus did. He healed the blind. He cast out demons. Um, he, he forgave sin. He restored people from um, different conditions that we, they were in, from leprosy and, and, and such. Lots of incredible miracles. And yet they don't believe in him. First question, why did Jesus do miracles? Could be several reasons. One, and I'll share a couple. One reason Jesus did miracles is because of the depth of his compassion and kindness. He encountered the leopard on the road and was compelled out of compassion. I think this was his first miracle, actually. He was so compelled by the condition of this person and that person coming to him, knowing that he could do it. He believed that this was the Son of God and Jesus had such compassion on him. He was willing as an unclean, as a clean, Jesus being the the most perfectly clean person, was willing to become unclean and touch the untouchable to bring healing to him, to restore him in his health. So Jesus does all these miracles. And, And I think Jesus lives with this tension of doing miracles because our tendency is to love the miracle, not so much the one who's providing the miracle. Um, Second reason that Jesus might be doing miracles is that it's the nature of God's kingdom. Remember, Jesus said the kingdom has come, and he was the fulfillment of that on earth. And he is now going about, and, and the healing is a representation of what God's kingdom is like. When God's kingdom shows up in our life, there's change. There's restoration. There's healing. There's growth. There's development. There's life. Light and life come. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And a third obvious possibility and and likelihood is that it's just the nature of God to bring about flourishing in the lives of people. It's just his nature. Um, So these are some of the reasons Jesus was healing, but it's not why he came. He did it because that was his nature, and he was compelled to do it out of love and compassion. But they still didn't believe in him. And they didn't believe in him because our tendency, their tendency, which is ours also, is to love the healing more than the healer, to want the miracle, not the one who gives the miracle. Another way we could say it is we love all the stuff he's created, We love his creation and we love his created ones, but we don't love the creator. And that's the dynamic that's going on here. They liked what he did, but they didn't really like who he was and they weren't willing to believe. Maybe a question for us to reflect on today is, do you, do I love him or do we love all the things he does for us? It's okay to love that, but which one should come first? Jesus instructed and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first commandment. Then love your neighbors. (laughs) It's not even talking about loving his gifts. We want to have things rightly ordered, and the invitation is to love him, not all the extra stuff. Well, John goes on. And in verse 30, 30, uh, sorry, 42 and 43, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many did believe in him. 
But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So here we have some who um, actually have believed, and some of these are actually the rulers. Rulers are important people. Uh, There's some of the ones that are communicating righteousness before the people and trying to help them follow the law, etc. Some of them along the way have have understood and seen and have believed this. This is somebody special. This is someone that I think actually might be the son of God. But they weren't willing to confess that because of fear. Fear of what it would cost them. And John is showing us that um, two things happen with our fear. Fear paralyzes our faith. Anytime we're afraid, our faith cannot progress. Because when we're afraid, we're in the darkness. And Jesus says, step out of the darkness, come into the light. You don't have to be afraid. But fear paralyzes. Fear also reveals the darkness that resides within us. And John's showing us here that their fear was losing the praise of men. They feared that more than the, than the fear, than, than the praise of God. And so, how does that play out in our, in our hearts? What's Jesus asking of us? And remember, in Matthew 10, Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. So an obvious question for us, is there any form of fear that's keeping you from abandoning yourself to Jesus? Think about that for a moment. Whether you've given your life to him and you've strayed a little bit, tiptoeing in the shadows, maybe you're in darkness, Maybe you haven't given your life to the Lord yet and you're, you're lost, you're in darkness. What level of fear is going to keep you from moving towards him? It's costs. Fear is a costly thing. And they were afraid it was going to cost them more than they, they could give. So they weren't willing to confess him. John 12, 46 44 through 46, and this is the heart of the message today. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. And he's talking about the Father. And then these incredible words, I have come as as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not remain in darkness. You know, this word cried out is actually like an anguishing, compelling type of cry. It's not Jesus saying, like I just said it, he who believes in me um, believes not in me but in the Father. He's not saying, ah, I've come as light. This is a groaning. I have come. Do you recognize it? Do you know who I am, what I offer? What I'm here to do for you. It's a deep cry. I am the promised one. I am the Messiah that you've been looking for. I am the Son of God. I am the light of the world. Do you see? Will you come close? Will you believe? I have come. 
And, and it's a beautiful picture because this word, uh, this phrase, whoever believes, it's, it's not for those of us who think we have to get some things right first. It's for anyone. doesn't matter the depth of your sin or the depth of your goodness that you think you have. The offer is to everyone, whoever will believe and repent and walk out of the darkness and into the light. So, And Jesus is making clear, this is a strong theological um, representation of, of, in this text. Jesus is making it very clear that he and the Father are one. So Jesus is uh, establishing that he has authority and he, and he is the deity of God. So he has authority to speak these words. He has the authority to do the invitation. And he has the authority to accomplish exactly what he's saying he's going to do, which is to create and give life. So it's a very strong uh, statement from Jesus. I think we find something in here, too, with this invitation, with whoever believes. Uh, there's two things here. One is um, for those who are literally in doc- darkness and lost and have not believed, repented, and given their life to Christ, seen him for who he is. It's an invitation for them to be justified in Christ, a big word we use. Um, but it basically means that um, it, it's a free gift. He's offering it as a free gift. You can't do anything to earn it. But if you repent and believe, you are justified before the Father. Jesus will take your place. He's also talking about our sanctification. You've been saved, but now you're on a journey to be saved. You're being saved. Paul uses these words a lot in his letters. It doesn't mean first-time salvation. It means you're being saved from yourself and becoming more and more like the light. The light has come, and it's dawning, and it's bringing light and life to you, which will bring light and life to others. And that's part of your sanctification process that you be on mission with him in that way. John Wesley said it this way, and I I love this quote by him. Justification is a doctrine relating to that great work which God does for us in forgiving our sins, while sanctification relates to the great work which God does in us in renewing our fallen nature. Justification is for us. Sanctification is in us. The one restores us to God's favor, and the other restores us to the image of God. That's the invitation. That's the words that Jesus is speaking here. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me would not remain in darkness, that you would be justified before the Father in heaven when you stand before him because of the work of Jesus Christ, and that between now and then, you will become more and more like him. You'll be an image bearer of the, of the light himself. And you'll be able to offer light and life to others. And that's the invitation to us this morning. One last thing John presents for us in verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I don't judge him. I don't judge them. I did not, I, uh, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And remember earlier, he says, the judgment's later. Uh, right now, I've come to save. I've come to rescue. Do you need rescuing? Do you need be, to be saved in some way? 
Jesus came for those who recognized who they actually were. Who are we? Without Jesus, we're sinners in need of being saved. And so in in Mark, uh, he captures this language too. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, uh, when Jesus heard what they were talking about, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. And so we see it there. We see it again here. And what Jesus is saying is, um, those of you who think you're already worthy, I didn't come for you. You're actually in a lot of danger. If you think you're righteous, you're in trouble. I didn't come for you. I came for those who recognize who they are. People who recognize they're not worthy. That they need a savior. That's who I came for. And that's who I'm offering life and light to. So anyone who will believe and come, I will give you light and life. You can only be saved if you believe you are in need of being saved. And that's the message that uh, these verses are trying to capture for us today. This is an incredible mission passage. Um, When I I received verse 46 as the, the, the thought to... Um, present for us. Um, I, I obviously read the larger text and I just thought, what a beautiful picture. We have the storyline of, of, of Jesus's feet being anointed with oil, being prepared for what's to come. He predicts that his death is around the corner. He's inviting, this is his last great invitation. I'm only here a little bit longer. Don't stay in darkness. Walk with me. Recognize who I am, repent, believe, and you can have light in life. That's the invitation this morning. So it's very missional, very appropriate for our mission weekend. Um, Very brief summary to answer those three questions very clearly for us that John is answering. Who is Jesus? Jesus is clearly the Son of God. He's one with the Father. And John's message is, is that Jesus is the Son of God and anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Interesting that John's gospel, different than the other gospels, has the seven I am statements. So these are statements that remind us of who Jesus is. And John captures this in his gospel. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You got a three for one on that one. And I am the true vine. If you remain in me and I remain in you, apart from me, you can do nothing. You will bear much fruit that lasts. So that's who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. And he offers all these pathways to understand and know who he is and experience his presence in our lives. Why did Jesus come? What was his mission? He came to bring light. He came to give life, to enter our darkness, to invite us out of our darkness. And this is a both end. He enters our darkness and invites us. And he also asks us to move out of our darkness to him. So the big question is, how do we respond? So I want to end with addressing maybe two groups of people here. 
for those of us who have believed, we've repented and we've given our life to Christ, the invitation is to walk with him deeply, closely, so that the light of Christ is with us and bearing its fruit in our lives and we can be lights for him in a dark world. Wherever he has placed you, this is incredibly missional. We talked about this last night in the workplace as a teenager or even a young person in elementary school, you, if you have put your, your faith in Jesus Christ, can be a light. You can be missional right where you are. Show people what a walk with Jesus looks like. Show them what it looks like to be transformed, renewed, changed. Be a person who offers life. Jesus and the work of his spirit will do that through you. That's the invitation to be light bearers. Remember, Matthew caught this for us, and he said, Be a light on the hill. Shine bright. Don't hide it. 2 Corinthians 4 captures this for us. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So like those little lamps at Diwali that Hindus use to worship, they're interesting little lights. They're, they have holes in them, and you might have something like this in your garden. You put a candle and it has little rays of light shooting out. We use that as an example to say, when you invite Christ into your life, he's the light that comes in. And all these holes represent all these broken places, places of sin, brokenness that you've had, places of darkness, And now his light shines through those and he makes use of those for his glory. That's the invitation for those of you who have a relationship with Jesus. Go, be missional where you are, be a light giver. There might be some who have not given their life to Jesus. I want to beg you, don't leave today without acknowledging that You're not worthy. Only Jesus Christ is worthy. And right behind this text, Jesus begins his march towards the crucifixion, giving his life as a ransom for you. Will you receive it? Will you hear his words today? Don't remain in darkness. I have come as light. Be a son of the light. Repent, believe, come to me. That's his invitation to you today. I want to give you a moment, just of quiet, both groups. What's God asking of you this morning? How are you to respond in a way that's proactively missional with where he has you and the kind of things you can participate in globally? If you recognize you're in darkness, respond to him in this moment of quiet. If you're completely lost and you've been in the darkness your whole life and you're feeling that nudge, maybe your heart's beating a little fast, that's the work of the Spirit saying, I am inviting you right now very personally to choose me. Just take a moment and have a little conversation with the Lord and I'll close us.
Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for the invitation to draw near. We don't have to be afraid. You invite, you welcome us to come. We thank you for the invitation to be missional with you. Right where we are to contribute to other places in the world through prayer and giving. But where you have each one of us is meant to be a light on a hill. And we pray that our light would shine bright, that we would grow in our relationship with you. We'd know all the great aspects of, of growth and, and formation and development in our heart and our character. We become more and more like you. And that those around us would see something different and want to have the light of Christ in their life. If there's anyone here, Father, that you're asking to accept you for the first time, move in their hearts. Lord, hear their prayers right now. All they have to do is repent and believe. Welcome them, Lord. Show them your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Chad.